They're trying to get that flushed out so that she can be okay without having to do surgery. And so y'all pray for her. Any others this morning? Unspoken. Any other unspoken this morning? Lord knows the needs. Yes, ma'am. We'll be praying for her and for for you guys as well. Yes, ma'am. Any others this morning? Anybody? All right. Lord answered all your prayer this week. That's good. <laughs> all right. <laughs> I guess, guess preaching on prayer is done now. We, we got it. <laughs> Anyways, um, uh, let's pray for Vacation Bible School. It's coming up very, very quickly. Um, I'll announce it again during the worship service. Um, we do have fly, little flyers, note cards. What, what would you call them, Sharon? Note cards? We have invitation note cards, invitation postcard, invitations out there, all right? Um, but we've got plenty of them. We can make more of them, but feel free to invite some folks out there. If you've got neighborhood kids, friends, family, the whole nine yards, and, and you could even invite strangers that you don't know, and we'll take them too, okay? Um, but uh, we appreciate that. Be praying for it, and it, it is coming quick, and praying for the ministry that the Lord would allow us uh, to be able to uh, get the gospel into some uh, hearts and, and minds of some young people as well as their, their families and continue to pray for our, our kids club. And uh, we thank the Lord for uh, God being so gracious the, the first few weeks of it and uh, thankful for all those who have been helping it and praying for it. Anybody else or anything else at all? All right. I've got a short list to pray for this morning. We can get, we can get cracking then. All right. Um, well, let's, let's pray this morning, ask for the Lord's help and strength, and um, if you didn't know, we do have a new booklet out, new section this week, going through 1 John 5, verses 6 through 12, and we'll get that started this morning and see how far we get, and um, anyways, well, let's pray. Lord, we come to you this day, we're grateful for another day of life, uh, Lord, we thank you that we can gather, and Lord, that we can worship you freely, we can uh, open up and spend this time, open up your word to, to study it, and I pray, God, that we would... Uh, not just know more about you and, and know more about your word in our minds, but Lord, that we would trust you more in our hearts, that our hearts would be filled this morning by your spirit and through your word. And God, we thank you just the fact that we are able to do this, Lord. You've given us such privilege to come to you in prayer and as well, Lord, just to be able to have uh, this Bible in front of us, God, that we can know that you've revealed yourself to us through. Uh, Lord, we want to lift up these requests to you today. And God, we want to um, thank you uh, for Brother Paul Dudka and the other missionaries and pastors there in Ukraine who you are using to see souls saved and, and lives changed and as well as providing for them and their ministry and providing for the people there who are facing such difficulties. But God, I thank you for their, their steadfastness and their, their hearts to serve people during this time. And I pray, God, that if we were to ever face such, that we would do the same. And God, that you would prepare our hearts for whatever, um, whatever our future may look like, Lord. And God, we do pray for Teddy's stepmom this morning. And God, I know that she's in the hospital, not doing too well. pray, God, that you would um, just give uh, strength and healing there, that you would um, allow her to have that blockage pass through without having to have surgery and things, that there would be 
a full recovery, and, and, and Lord, quickly as well. They've gone through a, a lot, her and her husband, and we do pray as well for Joan Jennings, uh, who's uh, in the hospital. Lord, doesn't seem like she's going to be uh, coming out right now. We do pray, God, for just uh, strength physically, but as well uh, mentally and spiritually and emotionally, Lord, and God, for uh, just deliverance during this time for her. Uh, we do pray as well, Lord, for the family and just the, the stress and the the difficulty that um, this sort of time brings about. We pray, God, that you would give them peace and grace that, that they need to um, sustain through this time. Uh, we do pray as well for those who, uh, from the mom and dad's sick and traveling, Lord. We've got several others who are battling some sickness and things. And, and God, we just pray that you would um, just be gracious to them, give them healing, and Lord, that you would rid them and help them uh, through their symptoms and things. And Lord, we do want to thank you, God, for the opportunity that we've had with the Kids Club uh, starting up and for being so gracious to give us those young people to minister to. I pray that we continue to do so. And Lord, we pray that you would prepare our hearts for Vacation Bible School and to be used of you to uh, continue to do the same as we reach out to our community, to families, and not just the, the children. But Lord, we help us to, to see the, the, the souls that are needed to, to be one with moms and dads and the importance of, of reaching them. I pray, God, that you would give us those opportunities. And Lord, help us to make the most of it. And Lord, I pray that we would be prayerful today, that would be filled by you today, and God, that you would help my heart and my mind as we look at your word, bring things to my mind and memory, and God, I pray that you would be honored and glorified in all that we say and all that we do today. We ask all this in Jesus' name, amen. All right, grab your Bible, turn with me to 1 John chapter number 5, 1 John chapter number 5 this morning. Uh, we've got the new book that we're going to be looking at, verses 6 through 12 today. This is actually uh, just sort of a heads up. I'm going to take a little bit of time this morning to kind of work through it. Um, there's a lot of folks who really struggle with this passage. It is sort of one of those ones that uh, a couple of things in the, the first verses that we're going to be dealing with today that a lot of commentators disagree on. And none of it is normally this sort of wild disagreement of one's way over here and one's way over here. But normally it's a little bit smaller of things and it's stuff you can certainly keep fellowship over and it's certainly stuff you can uh, agree to disagree. And there's, it's one of those where it's, it's a little bit di- difficult, but yet with all of the meanings that we're going to be looking at and dealing with, Essentially, you're dealing with uh, one key thing, and so we'll, we'll see that here. But what we're going to be dealing with is the witness of, the, of, of assurance over the next couple of weeks. John has been writing this letter, as we've been talking about for, for many weeks now, dealing with this. He's One, he is addressing the issues of the Antichrist, the, the Gnostics, those who had come against the Word of God, those who had left the faith, the true faith of the day. So he's giving sort of an apologetic against them, but he's as well giving an assurance of faith to those who truly believe Christ. He has shown evidences. He has shown uh, even beyond evidences. He's shown sort of the testing of understanding what it means to be saved. And as we began chapter five in the first five verses, we have the book in, in verse one and verse five of whosoever believeth that Jesus is the Christ is born of God. Then verse five, He that overcometh the world is he that believeth that Jesus is the Son of God. We have found the absolute importance throughout this letter of what it means to know Christ, uh, of the importance of having the proper view and understanding of who Jesus is, that he was not just a mere mortal person who lived a pretty good life and taught some nice things and then died, uh, nor was he um, some sort of just mystical spirit uh, that didn't really have a body, and we, so we've talked about all these different issues of the day. We're going to deal with a few of them as well as we go through here. But I want to begin by reading the passage, verse 6 through 12. And we'll kind of see here, but today we'll focus in on verse 6 through 8, the witness of the Trinity. Verse 6 through 12 tells us, This is he that came by water and blood, even Jesus Christ. Not by water only, but by water and blood. It is the Spirit that beareth witness, because the Spirit is truth. 
For there are three that bear record in heaven, the Father, the Word, and the Holy Ghost, and these three are one. And there are three that bear witness in earth, the Spirit, and the water, and the blood, and these three agree in one. If we receive the witness of men, the witness of God is greater. For this is the witness of God, which he hath testified of his Son. He that believeth on the Son of God hath the witness in himself. He that believeth not God hath made him a liar, because he believeth not the record that God gave of his Son. And this is the record, that God hath given to us eternal life, and this life is in his Son. He that hath the Son hath life, and he that hath not the Son of God hath not life. And so really what we find here in this passage is getting into sort of the ending. John is starting to end this letter, as you can tell, right? And for us in this study, there's light at the end of the tunnel now, right? We're getting close to verse 21. We're almost through. But as we've seen here, what he's really doing in this passage, verse 6 through 12, is he's giving a sort of a condensed version of the entire book. He is showing here's the witness of what to believe, the apologetic of understanding, and the witness is that of, of the Trinity that points to one truth. And the one truth that the the Trinity of assurance, or the witness of the Trinity, if you will, brings, is going to be focused on Christ. That is, as we've talked about on Wednesday nights, Jesus is the fulfillment of the promise of God and the provision of God, which is the work of God and the Word of God, right? It's found in Jesus. And so, as we look at this, we're seeing there's the apologetic understanding, but there's also then the assurance about this. Verses 9 through 12 deal with that assurance of, you want to know if you're saved? Here it is, right? And this is the record that God hath given to us eternal life, and this life is in His Son, and he that hath the Son hath life, and he that not hath the Son does not have life, right? It's simple. So what does the whole of our Christian walk and life revolve around? Jesus. It's not so much a what and a things, it's more of a who. It's found in Christ. It is in Christ that we are saved. It is in Christ that we are sanctified. It is in Christ that we will one day be glorified. It is in Christ that we must remain, especially as we are living in a day much like John, where there is this constant bombardment of false doctrines, false teaching, right? I worked in a Christian bookstore. I can tell you how much false doctrine and false teaching is out there. It was most of the shelves, sadly, right? And that's the sad reality is that there's so much stuff out there that has 90, 95% truth, but that 5 or 10% that's not, right? It's like we've used this illustration before. If I held out a bowl of 100 M&Ms and only, you know, one of them, if you ate it, would kill you, would you grab a handful, right? Some of you, if it's a peanut M&M, you'd consider, right, maybe? A few folks like peanut M&Ms, but, right? You, you might think about it there. You might risk it. But, but if we're thinking about this spiritually, why would we risk that? Because just a little bit of false doctrine a little bit of leaven, leaven the whole lump, right? Now look here. Uh, as we talk about here, this is the key, and this is what a lot of folks get stumbled up on here, and this is the water and the blood. The, the, this is sort of a threefold meaning, if you will. And you say, well, well, Pastor, you're just taking the very political stance on this and trying to give us what every commentator says. Uh, yes, to a degree, because none of them are all the way right, all the way, right? But none of them are all the way wrong, but they all have a point here, because what can be seen in this passage is certainly all three of these. So let's look at the first one, okay? And this is not, by the way, like Russian roulette, option one, option two, option three, or anything like that. This is dealing with uh, a passage that is certainly difficult to kind of see. It's out of everything that has been so easy to understand. John kind of goes, well, this is he that came by water and blood, even Jesus Christ, not by water only, but by water and blood. 
and it is a spirit that beareth witness because the spirit is truth. You're like, okay, I got the last part. The spirit beareth witness, but the, the first part is a little tough. So let's walk through this. The water and the blood. First of all, the first idea and understanding of this is uh, dealing with the physical birth and the spiritual birth. Um, I believe this to be very uh, important, and I believe it to be very um, very much in line with John's doctrine and teaching, and we'll see in a moment. We'll flip over to John chapter 3 in just a few moments. So it's very much in a parallel of understanding, depending upon how you take John 3, all right? But we'll get into that in just a moment. Now, first of all, the physical birth would be represented by the water, right? And the spiritual birth would be by blood, okay? Now, um, let's look at the preceding verses 4 and 5 to see who the who. Well, the one who is born of God and overcome. Verse 4 through 5, tell us, let's read this through here. Remember, this is a letter. For whatsoever is born of God overcometh the world, and this is the victory that overcometh the world, even our faith. Who is he that overcometh the world, but he that believeth that Jesus is the Son of God? This is he that came by water and blood, even Jesus Christ. All right. So if we're looking at this as the preceding, then who is the one that's born of God? What is the one that has been born physically of water and then born of blood spiritually? We must be born spiritually. We must be born again is what Jesus has said. It is very clear. It is very adamant. If you are alive today, you've been born physically, right? You've been born by water, right? But if you've been born by water, if you've been born physically, what does that mean? It means you're alive right now, praise God. But it also means one day you're going to die. And so it means that between some time when you come into this world and when you leave this world, which we don't know when this is, right? We celebrate when we come into the world once a year. We don't know when this date's going to be. It means somewhere between there, you must be born again. And so you cannot be born again on your own, right? As we're going to get into in just a moment when we get into John 3, Nicodemus says, well, can you go back in your mother's womb? I mean, it's impossible. How can a man be physically be born again? And you can't, right? You can't. You must be spiritually, by blood. Now, we talked a little bit Wednesday night, and we've talked a lot about this, and we sing plenty of songs about the blood, and we ought to because it is the blood that washes away sin. It is the blood of Jesus, His atoning, substitutionary sacrifice that He took our place. He shed His blood, so I couldn't not shed mine. And by the way, your blood and my blood would not be good enough to satisfy the wrath of God anyways. It would not be good enough to satisfy or to pay the price for your sins. So what we find it had to be Jesus. And so we must, if we're born physically by water, we must then be born by blood. Whose blood? His blood. The Son of God's blood. Now, uh, let's look at this. Sorensen writes about this. He says, and he's very honest with this. And, and Sorensen, by the way, is an independent fundamental Baptist uh, um, commentary. All right? If you want, you can borrow it in our library over there sometime. Just check it in, check it out. All right? Nevertheless, here's what he says. He says, though somewhat enigmatic, what John is developing here directly parallels what Jesus taught in John 3, 5 regarding being born of water and of the Spirit. The water there is in all likelihood refers to physical birth, though Jesus went on immediately referring to, be bo uh, to being born of the Spirit. Here, John refers to being born of blood. With the perspective of hindsight, John wrote of Christ shed blood and being born again thereby. As in John 3, 3 through 7, which we'll get to in a minute, he here is paralleling yet contrasting spiritual birth versus physical birth. Even as we have been born physically of water, we also must be born of the blood of Christ and of the Spirit. He clearly applies this to the preceding one who is born of God. So Sorensen takes it, and I believe he, he's uh, certainly right in this, where he takes that the one who came by water and blood, and then not by water only, but by water and blood, 
is referring back to the one who believes that Jesus is the Son of God, to one who has been born of God, that we must be born of God. We're born of God by grace through faith in Christ. And the, when the moment that we're born again is that is the moment that we are now born of God. Turn with me now to John chapter 3, the Gospel of John chapter 3. We're going to look at John chapter 3, verse... <coughs> excuse me. John chapter 3, verse um, 1 through 8 here. John chapter 3, 1 through 8. So it says, There was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus, a ruler of the Jews. Now let's stop there. You guys know this. Nicodemus, it tells us in verse number 2, that the same came by Jesus by night and said unto him, Rabbi. Well, he's talking to Jesus and he calls him Rabbi, but Nicodemus is of the Pharisees. He is incredibly smart. In order to be a Pharisee, you have to know the Old Testament, have an incredible amount of it memorized. You have to be incredibly strict with the way that you live. If anybody should know, one, who the Messiah is, it should be Nicodemus. And two, if anybody should know uh, about spiritual things, you would think it would be this man. Yet he comes to Jesus, who, by the way, did not go uh, to the, the schools and the things of which uh, the, the Pharisees did. He was not a Pharisee. Jesus came uh, born of a virgin and lived a life where he did not stand out, he, no one thought anything. Matter of fact, people thought, could anything good come from Nazareth? All of these things. Now look at, look at verse 2. He says, Rabbi, we know that thou art a teacher come from God, for no man can do these miracles that thou doest except God be with him. Now notice this, all right? This is an interesting phrase here, and this deals a lot with what we're going to get into today with um, this passage here. Here in just a, a few short little while, we're going to see that the Gnostics of that day and many people even still today, uh, believe that at Jesus' baptism, that's when he became the Christ. And then that, um, he, that the Christ spirit, if you will, which makes no sense whatsoever, left him before he died, right? Because, yeah, it's it's kind of wild, but this was a thought of the Gnostics during that day. They believed that a spirit came upon him, right, at his baptism, but it left him there in the garden, and he died alone as just a normal human being on the cross. No, he did not. He has always been the God-man. He always will be the God. That's who he is, right? He has not changed. So let's look at this. He says, except God be with him. Now, God was more than with Jesus. Jesus is God, right? John had already addressed this in John chapter 1. Um, in the beginning uh, was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God, right? The same was in the beginning with God. So, John 3, verse number 3. Jesus answered, said unto him, Verily, verily, I say unto thee, except a man be born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Now, this is interesting because if you're born physically, right, and you've got eyesight, you can see physical things, can't you? But you cannot see the kingdom of God. You must be able to see, you cannot see something spiritual with only carnal or fleshly eyes, can you? You can't. So, here's what he says. Nicodemus says unto him, How can a man be born when he is old? Can he enter the second time into his mother's womb and be born? You hear the idea of what he's saying. He said, Rabbi, that makes no sense. How can you do that? How can you teach that a man must be born again? I'm an older man. How can I go back? Right? It's impossible. And here's what Jesus says, and he clears it up. And this is going to be sort of the parallel and contrasting here that we get into in 1 John. Jesus answered, Verily, verily, I say unto thee, Except a man be born of water and of the Spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. That which is born of flesh is flesh, and that which is born of the Spirit is spirit. Marvel not that I said unto thee, you must be born again. The wind bloweth where it listeth, and thou hearest the sound thereof, but canst not tell whence it cometh, and whether 
and whither it goeth, so is every one that is born of the Spirit. So here's what we find here in this sort of first little section is that what, what we're dealing with when John writes then in 1 John 5, 6, the one that came by water and blood, is that it is showing uh, the difference of the physical birth and the spiritual birth that we need. There is testimony with it. There is assurance with it. There is uh, so much that comes with being born again. The issue with most believers today is that we don't understand the depth of what it means to be born again of God. We don't understand the depth and the, the blessings and the benefits that have been given to us the moment that we have been saved. The moment that you've been saved, so much else has taken place that it takes a lifetime for us to begin to start understanding all that Christ has done on our behalf to bring us to life. Now, the second thing as we look here at the water and the blood is in verse 6 here, there are those that take the water and blood to mean this. The word of God being the water and the sacrifice of Jesus being the blood. All right. So the, the word of God being water and the sacrifice of Christ being the blood. So let's look over in Ephesians chapter 5 for just a second. The reason why many of them take this uh, as this understanding is for this reason. You look at a verse like Ephesians 5 verse 26 tells us, um, that, granted this is dealing with the analogy of, of the family and church, that of, of weddings and, and, and of, of marriage and, and what hus- the role of husband and wife looks like. But he says in verse 26 that he might sanctify and cleanse it with the washing of water by the word. Now, if you have a reference Bible, that then takes you to John chapter 3 verse 5. And then if you have a reference Bible, that then takes you over to 1 John chapter 5. So we see how these are kind of connecting. The water is the understanding here. If it's dealing with being the word of God, it is a, of a cleansing agent. There truly is nothing that cleanses like knowing the Lord. There is truly nothing that would clean your life up like knowing the Bible and being changed by the Bible. But notice the difference between knowing the Bible and believing the Bible. You can know the Bible and never be changed. But to believe the Bible will bring change. There are countless people today who know things about Scripture. As a matter of fact, sadly, sadly, there are countless uh, agnostics and atheists, those who are, who are against the Bible, but they study the Bible to prove Christians wrong, and they know more verses in their, in their hearts and in their memory than, than many believers do. Now, granted, much like Satan, who knows the Bible, by the way, takes it and twists it. It misunderstands it, misrepresents it. Why do they misunderstand and misrepresent it? Not just because their heart is against God, but even more so because they cannot understand the spiritual things. Why? Because they are not born of God. You ever notice that when you didn't know the Lord, you could try to read the Bible and it made zero sense, right? I mean, it just, granted, we don't know after we're saved all that there is to know. Would I love to? Sure, right? Would I like to say I do? Sure, but we don't. We can't. And that's the beauty of the Bible, of the living Word of God, is that we can dig deeper and deeper and deeper, and it's constantly fresh, it's constantly refreshing us, and it will never run dry. It will never run out of material. You could, you could preach, we could go, we could end First John and go back into it, and we would still find new nuggets, right, continuously. That's just the way the Bible is. This is why, this is not one of those things like a puzzle, right? Now, if you like puzzles, don't be offended by this, but if you do a puzzle, right, you did it one time, 
what do you do with it then? I've always wondered that, right? Some people, they, they glue it together, they'll frame it, they'll keep it. The best part of doing a puzzle is you get to crumble it all up, take it apart, right? But then guess what? You've done it once. What's the fun in doing it again? Sadly, many look at the Bible the same way. Well, I read the Bible. Well, if you really read the Bible and you were really born of God, you know what you want to do again? You're going to want to read it. And not just once a year, but you're going, to, you're going to want to live by it, to live with it, and to let it live through you. And so it is the Word of God that sanctifies and cleanses us. Have you ever noticed that? And even dealing with verse 6 here, because the Spirit is truth, this Word is truth, but how does it become truth to us? When the Spirit opens up our eyes. Remember, we were like a blind man. We were like blind beggars, and it is the Lord who came and by the Holy Spirit placed His spittle of mud upon our eyes and washed us, and now we can see, right? We were blind, but now we see. And so now we can see these spiritual things. Now we can see with spiritual eyes. And now we can read the Bible through the power of the Holy Spirit as He illumines and enlightens us on things. It is not that He is revealing some truth that is outside of the Bible, but rather He's revealing the truth of the Bible that's inside of it. And so, uh, J. Vernon McGee writes about this. He says, The water is the living Word applied by the Spirit of God. He that came by water. The Word of God that the Spirit of God uses. And blood refers to the death of Christ. It is the Spirit who can make these truths live. Now notice that. There's plenty of lost people today who have heard the Gospel. There's plenty of lost people today who have read the Bible. There's plenty of lost people today who have gone to church even longer than I have. The difference is, they are not born of God. They do not have the Spirit. And so the moment you're born of God, what happens? The Holy Spirit of God indwells us. He seals us in the day of redemption. But what does He begin to do? The Holy Spirit is there to convict and to consecrate the, the, the believer, to uh, make us approvable to God, to point us to Christ, to continuously mold us and shape us from the inside out. And what does He use to do so? The Scripture. And so this is why we've got to understand that the Scripture is sufficient but it is sufficient because the Holy Spirit is sufficient to teach us these things. Now, I love my books, but there is no greater teacher of the Bible than the Bible and the Spirit. Uh, so we have to understand that for, for countless years, we, we've gotten away, unfortunately, from the simplicity of the Word of God, the power of the Spirit of God. God has given us the two greatest gifts that we could ever have, and it's wrapped up in the greatest gift that He gave to us, which is salvation. Right? And it's this, the Holy Spirit... And the Word of God. And you will not find the Word of God being used of God um, outside of the power of the Spirit. And you will not find the Holy Spirit doing some sort of work that is outside or contrary to the Word of God. Why? Because what does the Holy Spirit do? He points us back to Scripture. You ever noticed how you'll have a conversation with somebody, and there's many of us who use the excuse in times, and, and I hate to use that phrase, but it really is an excuse. We say, well, I can't witness because I, I just don't know what to say. Well, are you saved? If you're saved, you know exactly what to say, right? And so if you're saved, Jesus told his disciples, don't worry on that day when they lock you up, when they take you to the courts and the judges, when they're going to uh, you know, cut your head off and all these things. Don't worry about what to say. Don't sit in, in prison going, I don't know what I'm going to say tomorrow. He says, don't worry about that. The Holy Spirit will speak. Now, I don't believe that that's just for the disciples of Jesus there or the apostles. I believe that this is very much so for us in our day that we've got to understand the importance of being dependent upon the Spirit and the Word of God. We've got to depend upon this book, and we've got to depend upon the Spirit. And he says that the, the one, this is the water and the blood, if you will. Sacrifice of Christ is sufficient. The Word of God is sufficient. 
Without the Holy Spirit, the, the Bible is unknowable. The Bible is still that never-ending well that never runs dry, but you can't get a sip of water. So the Holy Spirit allows us to drink and to keep drinking. And it should give us the desire that we want more of it because nothing cleanses us or changes us more for the better than the Word of God. But the Spirit of God, as McGee writes, and he's very right in this, the Spirit of God must apply the Word of God or the water and the blood of God to the sinner for salvation. It is the Spirit who does this work, who, who uh, quickens the believer, and you hath he quickened who are dead in sins and trespasses. It is the Holy Spirit of God who convicts us, draws us to Christ to be saved. Notice, the Bible still tells us that it is the goodness of God that leadeth men to repentance. And the goodness of God that leadeth men to repentance is none other than the Holy Spirit drawing us to salvation, pointing us to Christ. But does He stop there when we're saved? No. What does He continue to do? He continues to draw us and appoint us to Christ daily. And that is truly the life of the Christian. That is truly the Christian life. It is being obedient as the Spirit draws us and continues to draw us to the, the truth of the Word of God to cleanse us, but to draw us to the truth that Christ, the Son of God, has shed His blood for us. And it is not just enough for our salvation. It's enough for our sanctification. It's enough for our glorification. The blood of Jesus and the sacrifice of which He made is enough. And He applies it upon our account, if you will. He applies the truths of these things to our heart, to our mind. Trust the Holy Spirit to bring Scripture to your memory. Trust the Holy Spirit to lay people in your heart to pray for. Trust the Holy Spirit to guide you, to lead you. And He will lead you to these two things, the Word of God and the truth that Christ has shed His blood for you. And we see as well that there is never a time when the Word and blood are not applicable to the believer. We often think that we need the blood just to be saved, and absolutely we do. But it is still the blood applied that um, keeps us in this state of knowing the Lord. It is the same blood and the same Word applied to our heart by the Spirit of God that points us to Christ, that strengthens us, that convicts us, that, that builds us up. That's what we need. And so we must understand, and we've said it a million times, and we'll say it another million more, that we never outgrow the Gospel. We never outgrow the simple truths. And what has John said? John said earlier on in, in chapter 1, he opens up the letter by saying, that which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we have looked upon and our hands have handled of the word of life for the life was manifest and we have seen it and bear witness and show unto you that eternal life, which is with the father was manifest unto us. That which we have seen and heard declare unto you that you may have fellowship with us and truly our fellowship is with the father, with his son, Jesus Christ. And these things write we unto you that your joy may be full. So what does he want us to know? The things from the beginning. Well, what's the things from the beginning? The Word applied by the Spirit and the blood applied by the Spirit. So we find this continued work here. It is these things that cause us to be born of God and it's the same two things that cause us to overcome the world. So we see that that is the entirety of the Christian life, is it not? To be born of God is as well, to be born of God is to be an overcomer and to be an overcomer is to be born of God all of which is by God's grace through faith, and, and we see the power of the Holy Spirit all throughout our life. The third truth about this water and blood as we see here today, if we understand the context of what John is writing in, we understand historically as we've been talking about the, the many doubters, the many people who had come against him, and the many people who had left the faith, the many people who 
took the, the doctrine of Christ, the person of Christ, and they twisted it and formed it. And there's many people today who say, oh, well, well I love Jesus. I often ask, which one? Right? There's only one Jesus, but you either believe the Jesus of the Bible or you believe your own. And to believe your own is to believe in an idol. Right? It is, it is uh, blasphemous. It is wicked. The issue today is that many people take Jesus of the Bible and morph and twist and make him who they want him to be. We don't twist and make Jesus who we want to be. He's to twist and make us who he wants us to be, right? And, and so any other thing besides being formed and being changed by him, when we start trying to change him or change his word, change what he has said, many people who misrepresent Jesus today, who, there, there's people who make the argument, we only need the red words, right? I want you to understand, okay? When even in 1611, when they're writing the, the King James, even before then with the Geneva Bible and everything else, even before then, you know what they did not have? Red letters. <laughs> they didn't have it. I thank God we have them, right? It helps a little bit, but they didn't have them. But here's what they really are arguing is that we only need what Jesus said. You know what Jesus said? Everything the Old Testament said. He was a fulfillment of it. And everything that he said pointed to Scripture. What did he do? His whole life, his whole ministry, it was full of the Bible. And so if you want to believe Jesus, well, easy. Read Genesis to Revelation. Read those that he sent forth. It's, it's all there. We don't just need what is in red. As a matter of fact, if you want what, all that's in red, get you a red highlighter or, or, and go through it, okay? It'll take you a while, but you should believe the whole thing because Jesus said you can believe the whole thing. As a matter of fact, Jesus was the representation of the Word, the capital Word, the divine representation, the, the Logos of God, to show and to preach the Word of God. Now, here's the third point, all right? That Jesus' baptism... By water, right? Remember, he was literally baptized, okay? Let's not forget that. Jesus literally walked down to Jordan, right? He sees John the Baptist, and John the Baptist sees him and says, Behold, the Lamb of God, which take away the sin of the world. And, and Jesus says, Will you baptize me? And John says, I can't do that. I'm not even worthy enough to, to undo your sandals. And Jesus says, You gotta, right? And I know this is some very loose paraphrasing here, right? But what happens? John the Baptist baptizes him, right? All the way. And notice, baptism was happening long before even us Baptists knew what it was. The idea is this, it is that of submersion. People have been baptizing, even the Jewish people, for quite some time. And they did so in the same way that you and I do, of this sort of outward representation of this inward commitment, inward identification and belief. Now, he is baptized, and what happens at his baptism? Clouds open up, if you will. The Father speaks, this is my beloved Son in whom I am well pleased. Everyone else is hearing like thunders and lightnings and kind of going, what is this, right? And the Spirit descends upon him as if it were a dove, right? And so what do we find there at the baptism? Father, Son, Spirit, right? So why? Because from the very foundation, and even before the foundations of the world, who was there? The Godhead, Father, Son, Spirit. God did not create things because he was lonely. He was in perfect unison and fellowship and harmony within himself, within the Godhead. But he creates, and he does so by the Father, the Son, and the Spirit, right? And each one has had a work in your salvation and in your sanctification, even in our prayer life, right? As we've been talking about, we're praying to the Father for the glory of Christ and for, to be conformed to Christ through the power of the Holy Spirit, right? So we've got to understand the importance of the Trinity. It was an incredibly important issue of their day, um, because there were so many who denied the Trinity. There are so many who denied or, or misrepresented it or mistreated it. Or they would say, well, Jesus was you know, a good teacher or a good person, but he wasn't God. Or uh, you know, he was 
only the Messiah when the Spirit came on him and then the Spirit left him and all these different things. Let's look here. All right, so here we see that the other view here of understanding this passage of verse 6 through 8 here is especially that Jesus' baptism in the water and then uh, the crucifixion of my blood. Now, this would address the issue of the Gnostics and the cessationists who were the Antichrist who had left the faith, the true faith, the faith that was there from the beginning. Now, here's what McDonald writes, right? Old McDonald, right? <laughs> had a commentary, E-I-E-I-O. Uh, really good. It's called the Believer's Commentary. Uh, very cheap, but very reliable. covers the whole, whole Bible. Uh, here's what he says. The Gnostics believed that Christ came upon Jesus at his baptism and left him before his passion, namely in the Garden of Gethsemane. In other words, they would say that Christ did not die on the cross, but Jesus the man died. And this, of course, robs his work of any atoning value for the sins of others. If the Christ does not die, we don't have salvation. Right? And so this is why Jesus had to be the God-man, because a mere man could not die. But God can't die, right? So this is why God puts on flesh to not be killed, but rather, as Jesus said, I lay down my life and I take it up again. And so he lays down his life for sinners. And there was never a point in a time in Jesus' earthly life where he then became God or became Messiah. He was born God because he's been God for, throughout all of eternity from everlasting to everlasting. And he did not put on, or Messiah did not become, he did not become the Messiah. He is the Messiah. That's who he is from before the foundations of the world. That's who Christ is. He is the Savior. He is the Messiah. Jesus was always God. He was always Christ. He did not become either one because it is his very nature. It's who he is. Not just what he does. And that's the important distinguish, right, to distinguish here. It's not just what he does. He doesn't just save, but it's who he is, right? See the difference there? And then Jesus did put on flesh to die as the mediator, as the God man for the sins. And he says this then in verse 6, not by water only, but by water and blood. Now, this is where all this kind of wraps up together here. Not by water only, but by water and blood. Now, one. No one is saved by water only. The issue is that many in that day, as well as many today, say that you're only saved if you're baptized. Well, let's look at the very first here of understanding. Jesus is dying on the cross, and there's a thief. One is ridiculing him. The other thief says, how could you ridicule this guy? Clearly, he's done nothing wrong. And he says, Lord, remember me when you go into your kingdom. And what does Jesus say to him? Today, let's break that down. Two Day, right? It's today. That means what that means. Today, when you die, you, you, right, will be with me in paradise. So, what did Jesus say? If you want to believe just the red letters, all right, Jesus told that man, you're going to be with me in paradise. And Jesus did not go into hell he did not have to go into a lake of fire for three days, three nights. No, he went into paradise in the Abram's bosom. And what did he do? He preached to the Old Testament saints, walking around showing the one that you've been looking and waiting for, the one that you've been putting your faith in, here. And so the moment that that man died, you know what happened? He went that day with Jesus to paradise. Not one time did he get baptized. He didn't even get sprinkled. 
didn't even get rained on, didn't get dunked, none of those things. You know where that man is still today? With the Lord. Why? Not because he was baptized, but because he had trusted Christ. So, no one is saved by water only, but by the blood of Christ. There must be the new birth. So notice this, not by water only, but by water and blood, meaning this. And here's how, here's how we're wrapping it up. You need the physical birth to have the spiritual birth, right? And the physical birth really, in a lot of ways, points to a spiritual birth, right? There was nothing that, that we really did. It's just the moment it happened, it, it's unexplainable. It is a beautiful moment that, that we are saved, the moment that we put trust in, in Jesus and we're birthed into the kingdom of God, we can now see. And we can now see clearly. We can see the spiritual things, understand the spiritual things. The second thing that we see about this as well is that Jesus would not, was not just the Christ at one point of ministry, but not another. Jesus as the God-man died on the cross. Jesus the Christ. Jesus, God in the flesh, died for us. And MacDonald writes, John is saying that Jesus was just as much the Christ when he died on the cross as when he was baptized in the Jordan. And this is where we'll end today. So when we talk about this, we have got to understand the importance here of going, salvation is not by water only, right? It's not just by knowing the Bible, as we talked about, if, if, if the word, the water being the word. It's not just by knowing the Bible. Right? I knew the Bible really well, but even better than all the other kids before I got saved. But guess what? I still lost. You can know the Bible without believing the Bible. You must believe what Christ has said. You must believe what Christ has done. And we find this truth as well, that every person that has ever been saved, it is through the water and blood, which is this. All right? And here's how we wrap it up, put a pretty little bow on it end for the day. Here's the water and blood. The Word of God. The gospel of Christ is preached to us. And the power of the Holy Spirit puts it and makes it alive for us. Opens our eyes to it. We put our trust in Jesus. And specifically in what? In His blood. The water and the blood are applied by faith as a gift of the grace of God. And the moment that that happens, you are saved and sealed. And as John has been talking about, we now have an assurance of that salvation to know the Lord, to walk before Him. So may today we understand what real salvation is, and may we have a real assurance and understanding of it so that we would have, as John had written, that our joy might be full. Amen? All right, let's pray. Lord, we love You. We thank You for this time. We're grateful for the opportunity to study Your Word. And we pray that now that You would prepare our hearts as we are getting ready to, to sing and to worship You. I pray, God, that we do so with our voices, but with hearts that are, are right before you and with hearts that desire to glorify you in all things. I pray that you would give us what we need today from your word. That you would teach us, you would correct us, that you would encourage us. And God, we just thank you for this day and for this time that you meet with your people. We ask all this in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, y'all, we'll take a pause for the cause. Any guys that want to come